You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Hey guys, if you would turn on your uh, little pamphlets or just follow along, I think, yeah, it's on the screen. Uh, we're going to go to Colossians 2, 6 through 7. That's the word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Word of God. Um, we've been, we just started a, a little series on how people change. This whole idea of how do people change. And the Bible has a big word for that. Like, I, know, I guess it's not, a, it's not a big word, but it's a larger word than average. Called sanctification. Which basically is just the process of how you get transformed. So what we've been doing, uh, and what we're going to be doing this semester, is asking that question, how do people change? What's the process look like of how people actually change and grow? And uh, last week we said, before you can ask the how question, how do people change, there's a question before that, which is, do you even want to? And we talked about how that's, that's not an easy question. It's a complicated question, because our hearts are complicated and contradictory, and we have competing desires and so we discussed that last week, and tonight what I want to get into is, is really the what. What does the process of change look like? What does sanctification look like? What can you expect for the normal Christian life to look like? And so if you're someone here tonight that's not a Christian, the question for you really is, what, what would the normal Christian life look like? What, what, is, what, should my Christian, what should the life of my Christian friends look like? Or what does the life that Jesus is offering me actually look like? And if you're someone here tonight that does claim to be a Christian, does claim to follow him, what should you expect your life to look like as you follow him? Expectations are really important. Do you know when you get a bottle of mustard and you put it on your sandwich or you put it on your corn dog and you're expecting mustard, but instead you get that watery, Mustard juice, you know what I'm talking about? You're angry and you're disappointed because you had expectations that did not get met. So there are many Christians that have said, here's what you can expect the normal Christian life to look like. You can expect gradually your life's going to get easier. You will struggle with your sin Less and less, and eventually it may even, the struggle may go away altogether. Uh, you can get victory over all of the bad habits in your life. Uh, in fact, maybe, some Christians have said, God even wants you to be healthy and wealthy. You can live your best life now. And if you have that expectation of what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like, and then you go out and live your life, and you don't experience that, you get the mustard juice phenomenon. You're, you're discouraged. You're angry. You're frustrated. You, you, you may be even tempted to kind of punt the faith altogether and walk away from Jesus because it just didn't work for you. And there have been some Christians, some Christians that have said, here's what you can expect the normal Christian life to feel like. It feels exciting 
and you're going to have endless joy, and Jesus is going to meet and satisfy all of your longings, and um, you're going to have passion. I remember when I was a, I was a young believer, I went to a Christian camp over the summer, and maybe three or four months after the fact, I was all amped up and excited for Jesus, and I was sitting down with one of my friends that was a young Christian too, and I vividly remember this conversation. We were having lunch, and we were talking about how excited we were, and like, we were like, oh my word, if it is this awesome only three months in, what is our life going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And our, I, like, literally our expectation was we're going to have so much joy and so much joy is going to increase, increase. Our heart's literally going to explode in our chest. We won't have the capacity to deal with how exciting it is to follow Jesus. And if that's your expectation, and then you go out and try to live the Christian life and you don't experience that, you get the mustard juice phenomenon. You're discouraged. You're confused. Like, why am I not experiencing this thing that people are telling me I should be experiencing? You wonder if you're doing it wrong. You, you wonder if something's wrong with you. It's confusing. My point is, expectations are extremely important. And so what I want to do tonight is really just kind of answer that one question. What can you expect the process of transformation to look like? What can you expect for just the normal Christian life to look like? And we're going we're gonna to do two things tonight that are just revolutionary, never been done before in the history of RUF. Number one, I, I only have one point for you tonight. <laughs> not three, not two, one point. We're just going to talk about the one big roadmap of what you can expect for the Christian life to look like. And the other thing that's revolutionary I'm going to draw on this board. I've never drawn on it before, and it's about to get visual up in here. So I'm going to erase this. James is behind this. He, he is, or he was. He was. Um, okay, so I want to just draw you the roadmap, kind of the big picture of what most, not all, but what most Christians experience looks like. Here it is. Big roadmap, point one, one and only point. Here you are. Here's a person. This can be you. This can be me. <laughs> so, he's a little, he's a little sweet. He's got some. Okay, so, <laughs> so that's a person. If you can't see it in the back. That's just a person living their life. They're just they're going through their life. They're going to class. They're listening to Kendrick. They're listening to JT and T Swift and whatever y'all listen to. And they're just living their normal life. And at some point in the life of a person, maybe they come to encounter or come to believe that there might just actually be a God out there. And maybe they come to discover that maybe God is um, uh, the secret to the meaning of life. And some of you discover that there's a reality called God growing up at church. Some of you discover that there's a reality of God at a camp or a retreat or whatever. I came to understand the reality of God as a high schooler entering into a depression. And I had a really intense depression my sophomore year of high school. And that's kind of when the reality of God kind of pressed home on me. So you're living your life. You come to experience and, and realize, man, there's a God out there. And maybe the secret of the universe is knowing him and being known by him. But then you start to realize, man, there's a problem. God's way up there. I'm way down here. 
I've messed up a lot. I've, I've got all this guilt I don't know what to do with. I've got shame. I've got regrets. I've got wounds. And so you realize there's this gap, and, I, and there's nothing I can do to get to God. But then you hear the gospel for the first time, and you hear this reality that God has come to you in the person of Jesus, that he's the one that has kind of closed this gap. And so the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus bridges this gap. And you hear that it's all by grace, that God did this uh, unprompted by anything in you. It was purely an act of undeserving grace. And what happened? You threw yourself at the love and the mercy of God, and you rested in him by faith. You saw the cross, and you began to respond with love. You began to respond in faith. You trusted in, and you rested upon his grace. And remember what that was like? For some of y'all, that was like at the camp. You left the camp, and you were crying, and you were hugging all of your friends, and you were so excited. And remember when you came home, and you like actually read the Bible because you wanted to? It was like fun to you to read the Bible. You actually enjoyed praying. You, you actually wanted to change your life. Like the people in your life you were concerned about and you like wanted to pray for them and you were like living the dream. But a couple months pass and you lose the high, right? The high kind of goes away and um, some old habits, bad habits start to return. You start to mess up a little bit. And you start to feel really bad about yourself and you start thinking, man, I'm living my life over here and God is way up there and he expects more of me than this. I want to be up there with God. I don't want to be down here anymore. And besides, you have these youth leaders or you have these um, pastors or mentors or people in your life that you look up to and you're like, man, they are like awesome. They don't struggle with drinking. They don't get stressed out about homework like I do. They, they like, read the Bible still. I want to be like them. So what you do at this point is you say, I need to start climbing up to God. I want to start improving my life and being like those, like, awesome Christians that are in my life. And so you start building a ladder. Here's your ladder up to God. And you start putting in these rungs. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to develop a Bible reading plan. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve. I'm going to volunteer to serve. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I am going to start giving some of my money away. I'm going to try to learn how to share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. And we start, we build this ladder and we start trying to climb up and to be a better Christian. We want to be like those mentors in our lives, right? And so here's what begins to happen as you live your Christian life. This line is going to represent your self-perception, how you think about yourself, how you see yourself. You start living your Christian life, and you have ups and downs, you have good days, you have bad days. So you, have a, you, know, you get involved in a small group, but then you come into UT as a freshman, and you're crazy lonely, and then you go to like a work crew weekend, and it's awesome, and you feel so close to Jesus, and then you make out with the person from camp, and then you go to you go to RUF summer conference, and uh, it's awesome. And then you enter your sophomore year, and you get the sophomore slump, and uh, you're going up and down and up and down. But the reality is, is you're generally trending upwards, right? So it's you, you're trending upwards. You have good days and bad days, <clears throat> but. Um, 
you're trending upwards. And by the time you get to your senior year, here you are as a senior, you've almost, you've almost arrived. You're right up there at the top, right, seniors? You're right up there at the top, and uh, your, your life does actually look differently. Differently? It looks different? However you say that grammatically. You, your life looks differently. And um, <laughs> you, you, um, you, you don't drink, <clears throat> and you don't cuss. And uh, you don't party, and um, you're involved in a small group that's led by an older person in your church, and you're uh, teaching two different small groups with people that are younger than you, and you go to RUF consistently, and sometimes you alternate, you go to Love War, and you go to Young Life, and you're involved in Redeemer, and you go to Cedar Springs, and you go to Fellowship, and you're also in BYX, and, you know, and so you just, like, you're, you're, you're living the Christian dream. But here's the thing, is that all of those differences, all of those things that make your life look differently, makes it really easy for you to just inevitably start to look down on people. Because you're way up here, and everybody else is kind of down here. And you would never say that. You would never articulate it like that, but it shows up in your, in your life in ways that you couldn't anticipate. It shows up in your life, namely like this, that you get really frustrated with people that mess up. Your roommates that drink, your fraternity brothers that party, your sorority sisters that, that party, you get angry at them because of that. <coughs> people that live their lives in such a way that's differently than yours, you avoid those people. You don't want to be around those kind of people. And so what ends up happening is that you only hang out with Christians. And this is primarily why I think people that aren't Christians hate the church. Because there's a whole culture of people that are up there, and they're good, and they're moral, and they're nice, and they're smiley, but they're plastic. And you don't know how to connect with people like that. And, and, and though nobody would ever say it, that kind of person has a palpable judginess about them. They don't say it. They don't do anything specifically. But when you're around them, you feel less than them. And consequently, if you notice, up here, when you first started, the cross was a big deal in your life. But as you kind of climbed your way up the ladder to God you began to kind of need the cross less and less and less. And so functionally, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller in your life. And so this is why you have, when you have super Christians, they rarely talk about the gospel, rarely talk about Jesus. Jesus is not on their lips a lot. In fact, what is on their lips a lot is about stuff that they're doing or stuff that they want to do or stuff that they think they should do or need need to do or or stuff that they think that you need to do. It's interesting. This shows up a lot. Sometimes I'll have conversations with students. We'll sit down and have coffee, and I'll ask them this question sometimes. How do you think that you're doing spiritually? That's an interesting question for you to think about how you would answer that question. How are you doing spiritually? And the answers that I get are very interesting because sometimes people would just start listing out all of this activity that they're doing. Well, I'm reading the Bible again. I took some time off, but I'm really trying to like 
do better in 2018. Coming back to it, I'm reading more. I've been checking out Redeemer. I, I like that. I'm going to try to keep trying to make that. And you know, they start listing all the stuff that they're doing. And then I asked them. I said, I didn't. I didn't ask you what you were doing spiritually. I asked you how you were doing spiritually. And those two realities can't get untangled in most people's minds because how we understand the Christian life is just what you're doing. You determine whether or not you have a good week or a bad week based off of what you're doing, not based off of what Jesus has done. And because you need Jesus less and less and less, your love for Jesus actually gets less and less and less and less and less. And so now you have a person up here that thinks that they're getting holier, and yet they don't love people, and they don't love God, and that's not what holiness is. That's not sanctification. That's not what you can expect for the Christian life. The problem is, is most people think that's what the Christian life is. Do a bunch of stuff. Feel guilty if you don't do a bunch of stuff. Maybe some of you will succeed in doing all that bunch of stuff so you can feel better about yourself. And then you have a whole culture of people that feel good about themselves in the name of religion and everybody hates us for it. That's not sanctification. So if that's not what it is, then what, what should we expect? So let's, let's erase this line. This is not the good line. This is a bad line. So let's start over. Here you are, and um, well, let's look at Colossians 2. Maybe we should involve the Bible. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When Paul says, as you received Christ, he's talking about the way in which you received Christ, the manner in which you received Christ. He says, as you received him, so continue to walk in him. He is saying, you need to walk in Jesus in the same way that you first received him. Okay, which raises the question, how did you receive him? You saw that Jesus did for you what you could not do, and you rested on his grace by faith. That's how you received him. And actually... um, uh, there's a quote at the bottom of your little bulletin there, this quote I threw in there by this 19th century theologian named J.C. Ryle. Here's what he says. If we would be sanctified, our course is clear and plain. We must begin with Christ. We must go to him as sinners with no pleas but that of utter need and cast our souls on him by faith. If we would grow in holiness and become more sanctified, we must continually go on as we began and be ever making fresh applications to Christ. You go on as you began. How did you begin? You received him as a sinner by faith resting in his grace. How do you go on? You go on in the same way. And so what actually happens is... Um, you begin to realize when you first received Jesus, you thought you were at this point, but you already began with an inflated sense of yourself. You really, I'm not going to draw it again, but you really, here's me, you really were down here. You didn't realize it, but you really began down here, not halfway up the board. And so what happens is as you begin to follow Jesus, your self-perception actually begins to go downward. When I became a Christian, this was in the summer of 1997. 
I was 16 years old. I thought my biggest problem in life, my two biggest problems in life was, was cussing and lust. If I could get those two problems fixed, I'd be an amazing human being. That was 1997. What year is this? 2000, let's say today is 2018. Um, here's what the trend of my life, here's kind of what I've discovered, and I've written, I've written all this out. I've discovered as I've gotten older, I am entitled to comfort. I'm addicted to applause. I'm deeply afraid of failure and rejection. I'm impatient with my kids. I am driven by shame. I am easily embittered towards my wife. I am insecure and competitive of other ministries. I'm a control freak. I barely trust Jesus with anything. I don't want to forgive people that hurt me. I regularly use food instead of Jesus to comfort me, and I get angry in traffic. As I have gotten older, my self-perception has not gone up and up and up and seen myself as holier and holier and holier. In fact, as I have gotten older, I have seen myself as who I truly am, worser than I thought I was. Worser? Worse than I thought I was. It's not that I'm becoming worse like UT football. I am just (laughs) discovering what has always been true about me. I'm discovering and seeing things in myself that were always there, but I just didn't have the capacity to see. And so here's the, here's the thing. As this, as this trend begins to go down, four realities begin to happen in your life. So this is, this is a one-point sermon with four sub-points right here at the end. Here are the four things that you can expect to happen in your life as you follow God, as you follow Jesus. Here's what the normal Christian life looks like. Here's the first thing. You grow in your awe of God. Up here, you saw God, you know, it was this distance. As you get older and older, and as you see down and down and down, the the distance between you and God becomes bigger and bigger, and you begin to see God as, as more majestic, as more supreme, as more in control, as more faithful, as better, as more beautiful, as more precious, as more meaningful than you did back here. The reality of who God is moves into your life with weight. There's a great example of this in um, the, the stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever perused those. In, in the book Prince Caspian, you have these four kids, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, and they've been away from Narnia for a while, and they come back, and they don't know where Aslan is. Remember, Aslan's the big lion. They're trying to find Aslan. Where's Aslan? Can't find him. They're aching. They want to connect with him, and they all fall asleep. Lucy wakes up in the middle of the night and she sees him and she's like exploding with excitement and she runs and they're kind of like wrestling or frolicking in the woods and she's kissing on him and it's just like this sweet reunion. And and here's here's what the text says. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. It's not because you're bigger? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's the principle. That's the Christian life. Every year that you grow, you find God bigger. It's not that he's actually growing. It's just the reality of who he is gets bigger in your life. That's the first thing that you can expect from this process called sanctification. Here's the second thing you can expect, that you grow in your awareness of your sin. 
Again, it's not that you're becoming worse. It's not that the Christian life is just this slow descent into depression and sadness. You are growing in your awareness of your sin. Let me give you a little example. Let's use Paul as a case study. I included it in your bulletin, a couple of different passages, all these little ones kind of in the middle. You know, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, and all of these letters, every now and then, he'll give a little window into what he thinks about himself. And if you take these and trace them, something very interesting happens. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.9. This was written in 55 AD. So let's just put him right here. There's 55. Here's what he says about himself. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, look, if you take this group of apostles, there's 12 of them, of all of those guys, I'm the least. Sounds pretty humble, right? Except for the fact that these 12 are like the most uniquely gifted people that saw the resurrected Christ on the planet. So he's basically saying like, of this special elite group of geniuses, I'm the worst. But then he keeps going. Uh, a couple years later, five to seven years later, he writes Ephesians. This is, you know, 60 to 62. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3, 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. So it says, look, take all the saints in the world, which is his word for all the Christians. Every Christian in the world, what does he say? I'm the least of them. If you took every Christian in the world, I'm at the bottom. I'm the least of all the Christians in the world. His understanding of himself is going down. He's zooming out and seeing himself as lower and lower and lower. And here's the last one. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is, whatever, 62, 64 AD. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now he's saying, take every sinner in the world. I'm the biggest sinner there is. Put all the Christians in a put all put all the sinners in a in a in a group, which is every human being on the in, on the planet. I'm the worst. I'm the worst person there is. Is what he's saying. What's happening to him? He's trending downwardly. His understanding of himself is going down, not up. Now, if you were to see Paul at this point in his life, he's saying to you, "I'm the biggest sinner that there is." And my guess is, if you were to see him and you were to see his zeal for God, his love for people, his willingness to die and sacrifice himself for other people, you would see this amazingly kind, gentle, humble man, and you would not conclude that's the biggest sinner in the world. But that's what sanctification is. It's not... Some some people have put it this way, that the holier you become, the less holy you feel. That's the reality. It's not that you're sinning more. It's, that you're re- it's not that you're sinning more, sinning less. It's that you're repenting more. You're not sinning less as you go through the Christian life. You're repenting more. You're confessing more. You're seeing your sin more clearly and more of it. That's the second thing that you can expect, that you grow in your awareness of your sin. Here's the third thing. You grow in your love for Jesus. Because back here, you thought that you needed Jesus this badly. But as time goes on, you begin to see, oh my goodness, the cross covers this much of my sin. And you go a few years in and you go, oh my goodness, the cross even covers all of this stuff that I'm seeing in my life. And you go down the road and the cross gets bigger 
and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the gospel becomes sweeter and more meaningful to you. And the gospel becomes something that is dear and precious to you. And as you see the reality of your sin being big, and as you see the reality of the cross being big, what begins to happen in your heart? Your love for Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. John the Baptist put it this way, I must decrease, he must increase. That's what happens in a Christian's heart in this process called sanctification. Here's the last thing. You grow in your need for Jesus. Remember the movie Benjamin Button? That's an amazingly weird movie, but it's a great it's a great parable of the Christian life. Because you remember Brad Pitt, he has this weird disease where he, as he gets older, he gets younger. He, he, he becomes more and more dependent on people the older he gets. That's what happens in the Christian life. You don't grow to need Jesus less and less and less. You grow to actually need him more and more and more. You become more dependent upon him, more desperate for him. Your need increases. There's a pastor in um, uh, Lookout Mountain. Some of y'all have come from his church. This is Joe Novenson. He's one of my kind of heroes. And here's what he says. He says, you want to know what the feel of faith looks like? You want to know what, like, a life of faith, you you want to know what it feels like? Here's his quote. The feel of faith is not strength, but it's humble dependence. That's the Christian life. Summarized in a nutshell, the feel of faith is not strength, but humble dependence. So that's sanctification in a nutshell. What can you expect? Four things. You grow in, in, in your awe of God. You grow in your awareness of your sin. You grow in your love for Jesus. And four, you grow in your need for Jesus. And so here's, here's kind of the way that I, I've kind of captured all this. You grow as you shrink. That's kind of what we're calling this series as we go through the semester. You grow as you shrink. And here's somebody over here that now for the first time can love people well. Because they're down here, they used to be up here and see everybody is below them. Now they're down here. And you know what happens when somebody begins to see themselves down there? They can say, here's somebody, here's a, here's somebody on this campus that has totally screwed up and is totally a mess. And rather than thinking that I'm above them, you actually can empathize with them. You can relate with them. You, you become transformed into being a safe person where even the wildest, craziest person on this campus can connect with you and relate with you because they know that, you become, that you're a safe person. You can hear people's stories and their struggles and their shame because you know that you're not above it. You can serve people now and love people now. And so you have somebody here that can love people and loves God. And that is the definition of holiness. That's what sanctification is. You grow as you shrink. But here's the question. Is that what you thought? Is this what you thought the Christian life looks like? And if you are a Christian here tonight, is this the road that you're on? Do you see this happening more and more in your life where I'm becoming more humble, more needy for Jesus, more dependent on him? Or am I going up this other trend? I need him less. I'm trying harder. I'm doing more by myself. More self-reliance. More self-exertion. Less trusting in him.
So how do you get this to happen? Well, that's in some ways what we're going to dive deep into detail, dive a deep, detailed dive next week. But for now, I just want to remind you of kind of the golden key, the secret, the key that unlocks this whole thing is found in Colossians 2.6. As you received him, so walk in him. Continue in him in the way that you began, by faith in his grace. That's the invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to cast ourselves upon you, and to see your grace and your mercy as bigger and better than we thought it was, and to see ourselves as darker and more messed up and needier than we thought we were. And Father, I pray that that would lead us into a a, a real sense of growth, a real sense of transformation, that we would become the kind of people that are deeply humble, that do not see ourselves as above anyone on this campus, that we be the kind of people that have big hearts for you and for others. Help us to be humble people that love. That's what you want from us. Help us to be that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.